0: Today we conclude our study of the New Testament book of Philippians. This is week 21 of our verse-by-verse study of the Apostle Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi. Before we come to the final verses, let's invite God to speak. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this journey we've taken together through the book of Philippians. We thank you for poking us. We thank you for prodding us. We thank you for teaching us some important truths along the way. It's never lonely at the top. It's not about me. Life's too short and eternity's too long to hold a grudge. Thank you for teaching us to shake off the fuss. Thank you for teaching us to let our gentleness be evident to all. And as we conclude our study of Paul's letter, may you challenge us and change us so we can become the kind of people who honor you. For Christ and his kingdom, we pray. Amen. Many years ago, I took a terrifying class. There were no tests, no assignments, no grades, but the course was deeply disturbing. It was a childbirth preparation class at St. Mark's Hospital. The class was, in fact, helpful and informative. I learned breathing techniques and relaxation techniques. The breathing techniques were especially helpful. <laughs> that's not what they taught, but that's how I breathed when Emma was first born. Remember remember when you were in school and the teacher would turn the lights off And show films. It was great, wasn't it? It's not as great in a childbirth preparation class. But for me, the most memorable part of the course was the instructions for the birthing partner. You see, the birthing partner has a significant role. Ideally, the birthing partner won't pass out when he sees an epidural needle stuck into his wife's spine. I must have missed that part of the class, but I digress. (laughs) But they did teach me about empathy. The instructor explained how important it is that the partner understand the intensity of the prolonged and ever-increasing pain by a woman in labor. To make her point, she used a simple demonstration. She pulled out a clothespin. And asked everyone to attach it to their earlobe. So, I'd like to try this demonstration today in church. At your seat, you probably found an everyday household clothespin. Now, hold on, hold on. When I instruct you to do so, you will place said clothespin on your earlobe for 60 seconds. Now, you don't have to participate, but if you love your mother, (laughs) you will join us today. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. The demonstration begins now. How's it going? Does it feel like labor, ladies? You notice I'm not joining you. Hey, we got four weekend services. I did this 14 years ago. I don't need to do this again. About 30 seconds left. You know, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you should try this at home with us. Just pause the recording. Find a clothespin. If clothespin isn't available, go to the garage, get a pair of pliers. Gentlemen, pliers will work as long as the pressure is applied by the woman you impregnated. (laughs) Five more seconds. Four, three, two, and one. How'd we do? Ow, I know. Some of you moms are just shaking your heads at me. Not even in the ballpark. (laughs) Here's the takeaway. Here's what we need to learn from this demonstration and from Paul's concluding remarks in the book of Philippians. Share someone's suffering. As we come to the end of Paul's letter, let's recall the context. Paul has a special relationship with this church at Philippi. This book we call Philippians reads differently than every other letter he wrote to every other church. His words are more passionate and more personal in Philippians than Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and the rest. Paul writes this letter a decade or so since he first ministered in Philippi. And he writes this letter as a prisoner. Paul is detained by Rome for preaching about Jesus. Now, Paul's imprisonment is different than incarceration in our day. While Paul awaits trial, he isn't given three meals a day. Paul is chained to a Roman guard under house arrest. While shackled, Paul is responsible to provide for his own food and lodging. If that sounds hopeless to you, then you are accurately understanding Paul's predicament. A Roman prisoner like Paul is forced to depend upon the provision of loved ones, but Paul is running out of loved ones. Paul's letter offers hints about his circumstances. We get the sense that Paul is feeling forgotten. We get the sense that Paul has spent his last nickel not knowing when or where the next would come. But then, Paul receives a visit from his old friend, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has come from Philippi. The church at Philippi didn't know about Paul's hardship. But as soon as they heard, they pooled their resources and sent Epaphroditus on what was probably a 40-day journey on foot to bring their friend and mentor emotional, spiritual, and financial support. This letter we've studied since January is Paul's response to that gift. In essence, it's a thank you note. But you wouldn't know it if you didn't know what to look for. Because nowhere does Paul actually say thank you. From our contemporary perspective, That's rude. If an old friend shows up at your doorstep with a load of cash, you say thank you. You say thank you very much. It's the least you can do. But not in Paul's world. Remember, Paul spoke in Paul's day in Paul's way, not our way. In Paul's world, verbal gratitude was not socially appropriate between intimate friends. Those simple words we say every day to express appreciation to the cashier at the grocery store or the person holding the door open for us, those words would communicate subservient status that socially obligates Paul to reciprocity. The words thank you would formalize Paul's friendship with the church at Philippi in a way that would water it down. Ironically, the words thank you would make it weird. So Paul doesn't say thank you. Instead, he expresses his gratitude by describing their long-standing partnership in ministry. Now as always. Paul is teaching. Paul is counseling. Paul's coaching his friends. Toward a life of faith and love. In the verses that immediately precede, Paul tells them. He's learned the secret. Of being content. In any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty. Or want. Whether prime rib or PBJ. Paul's learned to live without. However. He says verse 14. Yet it was good of you. To share in my troubles. (laughs) Believe it or not. This is the closest we'll come to a thank you. But remember in Paul's context. He's gushing. In fact he might be overdoing it. And in his first century words. We find a model for us to follow. As 21st century disciples of Jesus. It was good of you. To share in my troubles. You see. This is what disciples do. This is why Paul was so close to this church. More than any other community, the disciples of Jesus at Philippi share in Paul's troubles. The Greek word Paul uses for troubles is thlipsis. Sometimes thlipsis is translated tribulation, distress, affliction. Everything that went wrong for you this week is thlipsis. But it especially refers to the big things. Philipsis is serious trouble. The late New Testament scholar, Leon Morris, called it the burden that crushes. Life hands us many burdens. A financial crisis, a broken heart, a powerful addiction. These are heavy loads that often become too heavy to bear alone. We need help. So God sends partners. Verse 14 again. It was good of you... To share in my troubles. We've seen the root word of this verb throughout Paul's letter. Uh, the word he uses here, sun koinoneo. Sun koinoneo. It means to participate in something with someone. It means to become partners with. Now you, those of you who have been around capital long enough, and I'm slowly but surely going to teach you Greek, I think. the You could see the root word right in the middle of it. It's this word koinoneo. The noun is Koinonia. But here, it's accompanied by the prefix soon, which means with. It's redundant, by the way. ne'o would have been enough on its own, but Paul adds the prefix to emphasize the mutuality and the partnership that he shares with his friends from afar. Paul says it's good when you share someone's suffering. Do you have a burden bearer? I mean, maybe you know from experience if you have a burden bearer someone who helps you shoulder your suffering so it doesn't crush you maybe it's a prayer partner maybe it's an aa sponsor maybe it's a life coach with a listening ear who is the person you call in crisis do you have someone who can help you find god when you can't see him and when you can't feel him and when you can't feel can't hear him maybe you used to but they moved to michigan Well, Paul can empathize. His friends in Philippi were 40 days away. But God can use friends from afar. It's what what he does here. Paul reminisces about the relationship in the next verse, verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only paul recounts a little of his history with this church from the beginning of their faith in Christ Jesus they generously supported paul's ministry from their earliest days of discipleship these people gave now pastorally speaking i found generosity often comes later in one's spiritual journey not always but often an individual's income is one of the last things they give to god But the disciples of Jesus at Philippi were givers from the get-go. Paul says they were the only ones to support him on that particular journey. While in Macedonia, his first stop was Philippi, but then he proceeded to Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth. Well, uh, on some journeys, Paul funded his ministry by making tents, but on that journey, he ended up being able to devote his sole attention on ministry because of the generosity of the church of Philippi. He notes, verse 16, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. He calls out this trip to Thessalonica because of its close proximity to Philippi. That means right away, as soon as Paul left, they funded him. That phrase translated more than once, it means again and again. The financial support of the Philippian church was immediate and often. It was quick and continual. This is why they meant so much to Paul. They shared his suffering. Now, there are a lot of different ways to share someone's suffering. Maybe God's calling you to share your time and energy, to be an attentive listener, an empathic encourager, to be the source of wisdom or knowledge for someone who doesn't have all your wisdom and knowledge. Paul's friends in Philippi shared in his suffering by sharing in his expenses. Maybe God wants you to share. Maybe God wants you to help a friend in need. Maybe God wants you to sacrifice so someone else can have more. Often, people give only from abundance, which, by the way, is a relative term. They give only when they feel like they have plenty. But that's not what the church at Philippi did. Paul writes about them in another letter. At some point in Paul's ministry, he took a collection for the church in Jerusalem. Now, the church in Jerusalem was the first group of disciples to face persecution. Once again, the church at Philippi shares their suffering. Paul tells us more about them. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul says, let me tell you about Philippi. Verse 2. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let's do the math on that. Severe trial plus extreme poverty, plus overflowing joy equals rich generosity. What? Verse three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. The church at Philippi gave more than, than could be expected, perhaps more than what was wise. They gave from abundance, all right, an abundance of pain and problems. Paul says, verse 3, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Paul says, I didn't ask them to contribute. They're too poor to contribute. But they begged us to let them contribute. This church at Philippi, though it was clearly not a perfect church, it was a generous church. They were the kind of people who were looking for an opportunity to share in someone's suffering. Why? Why? Did they struggle with the Messiah complex? Were they self-styled saviors of the world? I don't think so. I think they were simply living out the teaching of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Think about it for you. When you've borne a heavy burden, when you felt the crushing weight of phlipsis, you ever longed for someone... To come along and lighten the load. Oh, if someone could just come along with a little cash or a little coaching or a new idea, that's what you would want if you were bearing a heavy burden. So love your neighbor as yourself by sharing in their suffering. Elsewhere, Paul says it this way Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul says, when we bear the burden of a brother or sister, we fulfill Christ's law. What's that law? Probably love your neighbors yourself. Throughout the Bible, God is described as the one who carries our burdens. Paul says, we're called by God to join God in his work of carrying burdens. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you love one another. You'll love your neighbors yourself. Now, of course, this verse needs to be balanced. You can't carry everyone's burdens. And you shouldn't carry every burden for any one person. Sometimes the best way to carry a friend's burden is to make sure he's taking responsibility for it rather than shoving it on you. Paul seems to hint at this in verse five. He says, for each one should carry his own load. This is interesting. Verse 2 tells us we're responsible to carry each other's burdens. Verse 5 tells us to carry our own load. It's an apparent contradiction, but he's making an important point. While as a community, we share the responsibility to help, ultimately, we're individually responsible for our, our actions. Nevertheless, we're instructed to carry each other's burdens. It's an important way we can obey The great commandment, love your neighbor yourself, but wants us to share someone's suffering, share someone's suffering. There's just one problem with us. Sharing your suffering may cost me something. Sharing your suffering may interrupt my already too busy life sharing your suffering may entangle me in lengthy conversation and uncomfortable confrontation it may put me in an awkward situation at inconvenient moments carrying your burden may take some of it may take some of the load off of you but it puts that load onto me you carry your friend's burden when you spend an entire evening crying together about a lost loved one You carry your friend's burden in a three-hour phone conversation discussing her marriage problems. You carry your spouse's burden when you patiently talk to him about his struggle with anger. You carry your spouse's burden when you lovingly confront her about her inability to forgive someone who hurt her. You carry your friend's burden when you don't know how to carry the burden, but you invest hours into reading and thinking and praying and seeking wise counsel about how to carry his burden. This sounds exhausting, doesn't it? And sometimes it is. Sometimes you just want to give up. In the conversation. In the relationship. In the marriage. But fast forward to the end of the film. Imagine your friend finding joy and peace again. Imagine her being able to enjoy a movie or a picnic or a trip to the mall again. I imagine your husband learning to control his anger in such a way that it will affect his relationships at work, his relationship with his kids, his relationship with you. Let the people of Philippi inspire you to share someone's suffering. You'll make the world a better place. Let's return to Paul's letter. With sensitive words, he thanks them for their continual generosity. But then he clarifies his comments. Verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul doesn't want his friends to think that he's talking about the gift. In order to get another gift. He isn't flattering them. He's not a self-centered televangelist looking to buy a mansion with a six car garage. Filled with exotic sports cars. Now using a metaphor from commerce. Paul seeks their blessing for being a blessing to him. Paul looks for their account to collect interest on the internal investment they made in his ministry. But Paul's also worried that his friends will feel like they owe him. Hey, Paul was something of a spiritual father to them. Had it not been for the sacrifices that Paul made, none of them would have even heard of Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Giving and receiving is complicated enough today among friends. How much more in Paul's world? Paul retains a business metaphor when he states, verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Paul says, you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. Then Paul unveils the actual recipient of their gift. Verse 18, they, meaning the gifts, are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now Paul mixes his metaphors by adding a religious analogy. He says their gift was like a fragrant sacrifice to God. Yes, their gift blessed the imprisoned apostle, but more importantly, their gift blessed the almighty God. And that's good news for Paul. The Greek concept of friendship assumed reciprocity in relationships. Paul, imprisoned from Rome, can do very little to reciprocate this gift. But no matter, because the ultimate recipient will happily oblige, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says, God will give you everything you need to do everything he wants you to do. God will give you everything you need to do everything he wants you to do. Of course, God and I may disagree about what constitutes a need, but we can learn to trust him with that. Whether his blessing is financial or emotional or spiritual, whether it comes in this life or the next, well, that's his prerogative, isn't it? And we can trust him with that. I think it is worth pointing out, you can't outgive God. Paul is left with no other recourse but praise. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. My friends, may this Macedonian ministry from ancient Greece inspire you to share someone's suffering. Pray with me. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see the people around us whose suffering we can share. May we identify ways that we can help them, maybe even uniquely. May we be that listening ear. May we be that faithful friend who loves and gives and serves, even if for a season that relationship is a little lopsided. May you help us find creative ways to share the suffering of others. Because we recognize that what we think they need or what they think they need it may not be what they need. So give us wisdom to serve them well. Give us the faith to lay aside the things we want to do and carve out some time. to pour into a person who desperately needs it. Lord, as we do this, yes, give us wisdom with good boundaries to know when to say yes and when to say no. And I pray particularly for my friends who are weary, my friends who are exhausted, my friends who have given and given and given and given. Yes, give them wisdom. But also may they not grow weary in well-doing. May they not grow weary in well-doing. May they be empowered and strengthened by you in this season. To do your work of bearing burdens. I pray for my friends who are looking for someone to share their burdens. Because they are overloaded. May you help my friends to identify the guy, the gal, the group that they need in this season. May they not give up if they've been searching. May they not give up. May they keep working, looking, searching, seeking. So they don't have to carry this alone. And Lord, I pray you'd Also, help us to see the provision that you've given us in the people around us. The fact of the matter is, we might take for granted the people that so frequently share our suffering. May we not take them for granted. May we be grateful to you and grateful to them no matter where we are on this spiritual journey. May our eyes be open to see that this is one of the ways that you show your love for us. It's through others. May we receive that with grace and gratitude. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How about a couple homework assignments for you this week? Here's a simple one. First, ask God for a burden bearer. Suffering can be lonely. You could be surrounded by a sea of humanity. A lot of great people. But if they aren't going through what you're going through, man, it can feel lonely. It helps if you find someone who's carried a similar burden. So ask God to help you. It may not be the exact same burden, but ask God to put in your life the guy, the gal, the group that you need in this season. Don't forget to ask. Don't forget to ask. And don't be surprised if it's not who you think it is. Second assignment, more importantly for today, be a burden bearer. Whose burdens are you bearing? And if you're not bearing anyone's burdens, then why? And why not lighten the load of a brother or sister? Maybe you can meet a financial need. Maybe you can meet a friendship need. Don't forget the powerful commands of Paul from Romans twelve fourteen: Mourn with those who mourn. Maybe God's calling you to simply grieve alongside someone you love. We each bring different gifts and talents to the table. I know some of you are exceptionally endowed as encouragers. Oh, Romans 12, the apostle calls encouragement a spiritual gift. And some of you got that gift. You know just what to say, the right word at the right moment. You brighten people's day with your well-worded, flattery-free praise. Hey, hear me. There are a lot of people in this room who are discouraged today. The days have been dark. May God use you to lift someone's spirit before you leave the building. Or maybe God's calling you to share someone's suffering by listening. Maybe God is inviting you to sympathize and empathize. Maybe He's handing you an opportunity to help a friend talk it out and sort through the confusion of thoughts and feelings and pain. Or maybe even more likely, God wants to use the suffering of your past to help others deal with their present. You know what it's like to experience a miscarriage. You know what it's like to have your heart ripped out by divorce. You know what it's like to be abused. You know what it's like to drown in depression you know what it's like to fail? Could God want to use your pain to help heal someone else's pain? Or for you maybe sharing someone's suffering is done by praying. Prayer is one of the most essential but most overlooked ways to bear someone's burden. There are people in our church community who are praying for me and praying for you all the time, every single day. I am thankful their prayers are often more effective than my preaching. I got a couple of dear friends who have just just made a ministry out of this, quite frankly. And they have given themselves to praying for me every single day. And I got to tell you, friends, they carry my burdens. They carry my burdens with me. Maybe God's asking you to carry someone's burdens. Let me give you a few images to take with you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It's a verse of the week. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the Law of Christ. Also, this graphic, share someone's suffering. Both of these images will have available on our online bulletin as well on our social media accounts a little bit later this week. Please stand. Before you leave, I'd like to read the last three verses of Paul's letter to the church. At Philippi, these are his concluding words, Philippians 4, verse 21. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes Paul concludes his letters, greet one another with a holy kiss. That's a spiritual practice that a few friends in our church community have requested that we reinstitute, though I think they may be outvoted. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. Now, for such a personal letter, this strikes me as such an impersonal goodbye. But literally, uh, in Greek, Paul says something like, greet every saint. It's worded a little bit differently than it ordinarily would be. Realistically, Paul can't call it the name of every church member in this letter, but he wishes he could. Verse 21, the brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings... All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Paul is referring to disciples of Jesus who work in the palace of Caesar. Of course, the Philippian church has begun to feel the persecution of the emperor and his empire. But Paul's words remind his suffering reader that Caesar's empire has been infiltrated by another kingdom whose king is more powerful. Paul concludes his letter with this benediction. Verse 23 the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. If you'd like to receive prayer, there will be people here waiting at the front, ready to pray for you. Make your way up. Ask them to pray for you. My prayer for all of you is this. May you share someone's suffering. May God move you to meet their need with generosity and joy. And may God in turn meet your needs with a generosity that exceeds your own. Thanks for journeying with me through Philippians. Grace and peace.